Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. This is Dean Jones, the Well-Seasoned Librarian. Today is Season 5, Episode 16, and I have a great guest on today, Lisa Amico Crystal, who is former owner of the restaurant South Edison in New York and is a upcoming novelist with her book, The Art of Conversation, which is a book that is fiction but also has some really wonderful recipes included in it. Um, I had a great time talking to Lisa. In addition to all this, she's taught writing courses and she's written a lot of uh, short fiction in addition and she has a lot of uh, food writing and recipes on her website which we'll include in the bio. So check that out and we're going to go right to the conversation. I really enjoyed talking to Lisa. I could have talked to her all day and uh, I'd be more than happy to talk to her again such a great conversationalist and I feel like I've known her forever. So with that in mind, here we go to our conversation with Lisa Amico Crystal. Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian podcast. My name is Dean Jones, the Well-Seasoned Librarian, and today I'm very happy to be talking to guest Lisa Amico Crystal. Lisa, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm so honored. <laughs> Now, I want to talk to you about your writing and your career before you started working with like doing food writing and restaurants. Um, you're a past Ragdale Foundation resident and you hold an AB in computer science from Brown University, which is pretty impressive, and an MA in English from Long Island University. You describe yourself as a recovering computer programmer and composition instructor. So let's talk about that a little bit. How did you, what, how did you like being in this field and what kind of propelled you to get out of that and go working in like food and teaching writing classes? Yeah, well, I should address the fact that I use the word recovering it does make it sound like I hated it, but um, <laughs> I didn't. I really liked, I, I went into computer programming because um, first I didn't know what to major in when I was 18 and I thought of English, but I said, I should pick something that'll get me a job. And I picked computer programming and I really loved it because of the the detail and the precision. And um, you have to think of every scenario to be sure your program doesn't crash. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of a lonely, solitary task, at least when I was doing it, it's the field I worked in. I wasn't on a team. I'm sure things are different now when I use, a, I, I'm a graphic designer too. And when I use uh, Adobe software, you see all the authors of the programs. I don't know if they work together, but I'm sure they collaborate sometimes. But anyway, it was kind of a lonely, dry task. Um, and I also did it in the first few years of my career, and I got married rather young and started having children early, so I did stop working. Um, yeah. So then I was home with the food, and food has always been a huge part of my life. But as Later, about 25 years later, I went back to school to, I thought I'd be a high school English teacher because I always loved literature. My house was a house full of books. My parents were always reading and so were my siblings and I. Um, and so I went back to get my master's in English and I ended up uh, being assigned a class as a grad student uh, to teach freshman English. And I just stayed there because it was interesting. I love being in the classroom with the students. It was enlivening. I learned as a teacher, you're always learning because you have to keep yourself up to date and you learn from the kids. I really enjoyed that. And actually at the time, my children were about college age, so I could relate to them. It was helpful. It's really um, wonderful. 
It's yeah, really wonderful to grow up in a house full of people that read. I know mm-hmm. I my brothers um, were big readers, and my brother would talk about reading Catcher in the Rye, mm-hmm. my younger one, and then my old my other brother who's younger. He would also talk about reading Lord of the Rings, and it was always kind of thrilling to have. It's like when you have siblings that are into music, you know, you share tapes, you get into different bands because of them, and books are the same way. Was that like that for you? Yeah, um, I was going to ask you if you shared books with your your siblings, but um, it. I guess I think I would pick up my brother's books or my sister's that they were reading, but they were older than me. They were six and seven years older. They are six and seven years older than I am. So they were in high school and I was still in elementary school. Um, so I didn't always share books with them, uh, but I certainly listened to their music. And now that you mentioned that, I used to, I was nine. I remember laying on my dining room floor with my brother's headphones and listening to the entire White Album by the Beatles over and over again. Uh, and my sister actually um, plays, uh, she doesn't play anything. Her two children are musicians. So there's a lot of music in our family too. Yeah, to you youngsters who are listening to Spotify and iTunes, you know, the only way mm-hmm. I used to be able to get into music was if you had friends or siblings that listened to stuff. And that was, you know, you didn't have access to everything. You know, you, right. usually you, you would get information from somebody else. So a little yeah. bit different time. Yeah. Now, as far as books are concerned, my my parents were always reading. And then we seemed, we read a lot of, as soon as Stephen King wrote, I think it was, was it Carrie, his first book? Yeah. Or Salem's Lot. Either one, my sister and I, read those and then we read every single one of his books afterwards um and i guess my parents were just a good influence on us i love salem's lot so much it's just that's i think one of my that'll always be a favorite of mine i love everything he does but i think that like salem's lot will always have a special place in my heart yeah it was scary i remember i think it's difficult to make somebody scared while they're reading a book and he, he manages to do that time and again. Oh, yeah. Now, tell us about the restaurant that you owned in New York. I, I've been really excited to talk to you about that, especially reading your book, The Art of Conversation. I just know, like, I've worked a little bit. I think I've told you this. I worked a little bit in restaurants, not like really heavily, but I've had enough experience so that some of it makes sense to me when I read about mm-hmm. stuff that people are writing. And I had to laugh at certain things. Like there's always the claustrophobic office over stuff with mm-hmm. stuff. There's always the walk-in and everything. So I, I really got a feeling that you had some real experience there. So tell us about your restaurant and, and what, what you had in it and your experience working with it. Sure. Um, so the restaurant in New York City uh, was sadly closed during quarantine. It was Bo's Kitchen and Bar Room, uh, right on 24th Street, right near Italy, which you may have heard of. Yeah. Um, and we had already had the restaurant in South, uh, in Montauk called South Edison that was doing really well. Uh, that was open from 2010. And then 2013, my husband said, let's have a restaurant in New York City. And we partnered with, it wasn't only our restaurant. And one of our partners was Bo, who is Bo Young. He's a good friend of ours. And his father is Andrew Young. You may have heard of him. He was mayor of Atlanta. He was Martin Luther King's partner during the civil rights movement. And he's also a friend of the family. 
Um, and his grandmother was from New Orleans. So originally Bo's menu was a riff on foods from that area in honor of Andrew's grandmother. And also we designed the restaurant together uh, with our chef, who is Todd Mitgang. Currently he runs Crave Fish Bar in, on the Upper East and the Upper West Side and another restaurant, Taco Vision, which he's amazing. Um, so he came with us from South Edison over to help us design the menu at Bo's. And the food was very, very good. And it became, however, afterwards, a more, uh, a bar, the bar became more popular because the after work crowd was big there. So we kind of started downsizing our dinner menu and adding more small plates, which if you read my book, you'll recognize I mentioned that, that Winston or Eddie, one of the characters says, small plates are important now. So that came right from the restaurant and the entire layout of the restaurant in my book is very similar to what, uh, how Bose was, is uh, set up. And of course I spent a lot of time there. I didn't work in the kitchen. I did the graphic design, the business cards, the advertisements, um, but I was always there either eating or walking into the kitchen to see how they were doing or hanging out in the teeny tiny office that was crowded with stuff. So now how many people that you work with made their way into um, the art of conversation? Are there any characters that are loosely based on people? Uh, so nobody that works for the restaurant is like, well, no one in the book is like anyone from my real restaurant, but um, that's a good question because I was thinking about it. Uh, most of, there's probably not a single person in my family that doesn't have some sort of anxiety, nothing like my, my very nervous character, Winston, thank goodness. But we've all been known to count our pulses on occasion. Mm -hmm. Well, some of us, well, let's say all of us, some of us. And then, oh, Winston loves symmetry. I don't know if you remember on page one, he says, hmm, 10.01, nice symmetry, but I'm late. Um, that's me. I look at the clock and I've been known to yell, uh, it's 11.11. I just, I don't know, I'm very strange. Uh, so Winston has characteristics from me, people in my family. Um, there's a scene when um, at the very end when somebody says, did you have a broomstick for breakfast? And that came right from a friend of mine who a ski instructor said that to him because he was standing too far upright. Um, <laughs> and, and then Julia Child. I have a love affair with Julia Child um, since I'm a little girl and I love the real Julie Child and Dan Aykroyd's version of her. So that had to be in my story. Um, and then uh, I was, you remember the novel, Julie and Julia, that became a movie. Uh, I was reading that to my mother when near the end of her life, she was in the hospital very often. And I was reading it to her and I read the scene of Julia Child bravely volunteering to make scrambled eggs in her first uh, cooking class in France. And then she explains how the professor or the instructor told her how to make eggs. And that's in my story. So. I love that. I love how everything seems very, a lot of the characters seem very real. You really flesh out many of the characters and make them like, I feel like I've known them. And I feel like so many of the minor characters, there's like a Moorishness about it. I, I would love to see a sequel where they're kind of re being reintroduced. So I hope that you have plans for that. 
Um, Thank you, and, Thank and you so too. much. That's a nice compliment. So let's talk about the art of conversation since I kind of forced that ahead in the uh, list of questions. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your book, The Art of Conversation. For the people who are listening who haven't read it, can you give us like a synopsis of the book and talk about how you're inspired to write it? Sure, I can give you a, a quick pitch. I've been writing it on top of query letters again and again. So oh, yeah. <laughs> The Art of Conversation is a story about family, friendship, and food. It's stuffed with plenty of cooking, and I have recipes available, served up with a ghost, and seasoned with a dash of corporate crime. And it's the tale of 22-year-old Winston, who's a socially awkward restaurant accountant, whose life flies in new directions when magical forces deliver him an apartment in New York City, a vintage self-help book, called The Art of Conversation, of course, and Ethel, the ghost of its author, who's charged with helping Winston overcome his social woes. So that's the quick version. Um, the reason I wrote it many, many years ago, I started it so long ago, I'm embarrassed to tell you when it was, but it's probably better because I wasn't as good a writer then. It took me a long time to figure out how to be a good writer or at least a decent one. But anyway, when I was working at Long Island University as a teacher, they always had a, a used book sale. And I picked up this book. Actually, I could show it to you, but the listeners can't see it. I found this book, The Art of Conversation. Oh my God. And I was like, there is wow. a real one. Oh, yeah, it's real. And um, it doesn't fly cool. around, though, right? I'm sorry. It doesn't fly around, though, right? No, it doesn't fly. And I haven't yet met Ethel, the ghost of its author. And, and by the way, I checked with a copyright lawyer and all my use of the author's name and anything I use from the book is all on the up and up. It's legal. And also okay, I make good. up the book didn't actually not everything fits, but some of it, some of the quotes I use are right from the book. And what I loved about it was I found this book and I just, I, she, the author, Ethel Cotton, really wanted to help wallflowers become social beings. But then I was also interested in her complete naivety. She, she really believed that this book, this box of lessons and worksheets and voice culture practice um, and series of silly couplets, is it chatter? Does it matter? Um, would actually do the trick. Um, some of them actually border on insulting, which I is in my novel because she kind of is almost a little misogynistic, I guess because she's from 1930. And um, or not, you know, just women have a certain place. And then um, and then shortly thereafter, Dale Carnegie's iconic book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, came out. Oh, yeah. And and I just pictured poor Ethel Cotton feeling so upset about this. So that night after I bought the book, I remember telling my husband, I, I should write a book about this, a sweet, shy 40-year-old guy who's never dated finding this book in an antique store, and he uses it to find his way to romance. And um, then like right then, the 40-year-old virgin came out, that movie. <laughs> so yeah, yep. I was like, hmm. So when I finally, I still pursued the story, but I changed the character to a younger man. I put him working. He actually originally worked in an e-discovery firm, which is a business my husband went into after he retired. And uh, when I tell you about the authors I like, I'll tell you which one told me that that was kind of boring. And I write much better about, I write really well about food. So maybe I should focus on food some more in this novel. 
Um, yeah, anyway. it's nice to have that touchstone because I think it makes things really real. I think food is like a touchstone that we all have. Right. And I was writing about computer programming, which I knew. Yeah. Although I did have to research it a little because when I was writing programs, it was C. And then I discovered, well, and it's more than 10 years ago, that C++ was the common language at the time. And I, I really had to do some research. But anyway, I got rid of the programming. That's gone. Um, but I was really lucky to have signed up for a writer's workshop in 2013. I mean, uh, prior to that, I was workshopping the same 60 pages of this completely unfinished novel all over different workshops, maybe one a year. And then uh, I worked with Taya Abret, who is an incredible author. She wrote, she won the Orange Prize, which is now the Women's Prize for Fiction, um, when she was only 25. She's, but not only that, she's a wonderful person. And she liked my writing. And she said, how much do you have done? I, I want to see it when it's done or 80%. I said, I have 60 pages. And she goes, okay, you get that written and then show it to me. And she's been very, very kind and written, read a couple of really long and overblown drafts before thing, but helped me a lot. You know, she's the one who suggested that I should uh, have Winston work in a kitchen, but I couldn't see that he was way too shy to work on the line because you were. Oh, yeah. yeah. He couldn't do it. No, no, you can't be shy doing that. Yeah. I gave him a peripheral job, an accountant for a restaurant group. So that seemed to work. And then it allowed me to write even more about food. And I love that. So any thoughts for uh, I mean, I can really see this as a film or a TV series on Netflix. What do you think about that idea? Well, Dean, I think that's a fabulous idea. <laughs> I wish somebody else would think it's a good idea, too. Um, I work with the woman that I ran my author series with, Robin Martin. We've become very good friends. She's a wonderful writer. Um, and we help each other with our writing. We read each other our work um, and critique each other's work. And she says it's a movie. It's definitely cinematic. You have to make this a movie. I was like, well, I need to get it published first. So. Anyway. Maybe, maybe Timothy Chalamet playing Winston. What do you think of that? Oh, you know, it's funny. He's too beautiful, I think. I think Winston's cute, but he's chubby and goofy. He's a little goofy. So I always have, he's way too old. Um, oh, I forgot his name. But, um, oh, Jason, Jason Siegel? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, and he's, I mean, I'm sorry, Jason, you're not that old, but he's funny <laughs> and his little, little chubby face and um, sweet. And I kind of picture it, I, it's sort of a, it's more of a friendship story. So I kind of picture it like a bromance between Eddie and Winston that he's learning how to have friends when he meets Eddie. So I don't know who would could be good to play Eddie. Eddie's a great character. I think Eddie's my favorite character in the whole thing. Oh, good. That's funny. Yeah. He, who is his inspiration? I don't know. I know I've seen my son watch football all the time and talk about the jets and, and he actually, uh, I had to ask him, I, I wrote the scene where Winston is talking about football at the Thursday night football at someone's apartment. And I had my son check it and help me with the technical things I was trying to say, because he knows everything about it. Eddie's great though. I, I really love, I love that character. I, he's really oh, fun. Thanks. I mean, I, I could hang out with him. Like I, 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 he and I could hang out a bit. 
yeah, he probably would have fun. And I, I did try to redeem him a little bit at the end that he found his little, his place, his talent at the end because he was pretty lazy in the beginning. Yeah. Everybody's got a friend like Eddie, though, I think. We all have mm -hmm. had, I think as a guy, I've had at least five or six friends like Eddie. You know, Do you still hang out with them? Yeah, so we stay in touch every once in a That's while good. if they're in the area, you know. It's harder as you get older, but you know, every once in a while you, you go hang out with friends and stuff and see each other. Mm -hmm. Now, um, do you miss owning a restaurant? Um, do you want to go back to that one day when kind of things get back to normal a little bit? Um, I don't know. It was really sad when we had to close. Um, I mean, everything was sad then though, wasn't it? Yeah. Because of quarantine. Yeah. Um, but it afforded me, I had always been writing and I was, had some short stories that I'd written before, but being in quarantine, we were fortunate. My husband and I stayed healthy. We weren't in need of anything and we were yeah. able to stay home safely. So being home afforded me the opportunity to really focus on my writing. I did a huge revision of my novel, which it was due. I, that's what Ragdale was. That was a, a residency that I, an artist residency that I went to uh, for a month. I, my husband was very generous and didn't mind me being gone that long. And uh, I uh, was able to work on the novel, but then during quarantine, I really pared it down, cleaned it up. Um, and then I started writing and revising all my shorter stories. And I've since published a couple of those and I have some waiting to hear. And it, I don't think we'll open another restaurant unless my husband wants to open a bar. So it's always been his idea. He retired, I'm teaching. And he's like, you know, we should open a restaurant in Montauk. I'm like, well, I'm not gonna be there a lot because I'll be in school, but we'll do the best we can. And then he did the business end and I did all the graphic design, as I said, and my kids all worked there. and. It turned out to be just such a fun thing to do. And both restaurants had a really friendly atmosphere. You could tell people liked working there. It was a great experience, but probably won't happen again. One of the things that you had at the restaurant that was unique was the Yeah, You Write author series. Do you mm -hmm. want to talk about that a little bit? I love talking about Yeah, You Write. So, um, you read my little recipe book for the literary cocktails that we served there. But uh, at that same workshop where I met Taya Abrett, I met Robin Martin, who's a writer that was in Salt Key Writers Workshop or Retreat, Writers Retreat. And she lived in New York. So one day she said, I would like to visit Lisa Crystal that I met. And she came to Bose and I took her down to the lounge, which was really very pretty. It was dark and dreamy. And we're not sure who said it first, but, and I had been thinking of having an author series there, but I had no idea how to go about it. And she, she probably said, we should have a reading series here. And she was more connected in the, the writing world because she had been writing longer. And um, we just did it. I had two instruct, two authors that had been my teachers come to the first one and we put together this evening, we decided uh, the reason we called it Yay You Write, W-R-I-T-E, because we had a 
was because we had a giant uh, light up sign that had a phrase that's used in New Orleans, yeah, you write, R-I-G-H-T. And um, that's something you say like, hey, would you like another Sazerac? Yeah, you're right. So we had that sign made, it was prominent in the back of the restaurant, really cool. And we had the first author reading and it was Taya Abret and David Ebershoff who wrote The Danish Girl, which had, was being, uh, the movie of that book was coming out that very year, it was 2015. And, and Dan Sheehan, who's Taya's husband, and the three of them read and were like, we don't know what to call it. And there's the sign sitting there and Dan said, how about, yeah, you're right. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. So I added the <laughs> hashtag. And then we said, how about literary cocktails? And um, I, uh, the, the time it was the head bartender, but he became our manager, Pete Mazzulli. And he, I would ask the authors what their preferences were. What, what's your favorite alcohol or non-alcoholic favorite flavors that you like? flavors you despise, any thoughts on cocktail culture. And I would give him what their preferences were and he'd make a drink. And then from the recipe, I would write, I'd write out the recipe in a way that related to their novel or book or whatever, poetry, whatever it was that they were reading. Oh, I like that. And I like it was that. Really fun. Yeah, thanks. And then we, that was Robin's idea to have the authors read the recipe. And some of them wrote poems about their recipes. And um, some of them were very shy. They'd read it and taste it and say, oh, that's good. We had one out of hundreds of, well, yeah, it was hundreds of authors who came. One who tasted it and said, oh, that's terrible. He was really funny. Said Sarah. It was really fun. We had open mic. Um, and at the end, we asked, this came from Taya, she gave me the idea not to ask, because we always had three to five authors, not to ask specific questions about their work, but to ask, she called the magic pen questions, like it would give aspiring writers in the audience tools to be a writer. So um, we'd say handwritten or typed, um, and we go through a progression of say 10, 12 questions about the craft of writing and it was fun. It was rapid fire, quick questions. That sounds really wonderful. I would yeah. love to have been a, a part of something like that. That's that's amazing. Well, we may reinstate it. We're looking for a new venue because it closed when we closed the restaurant, of course. So we're just starting to talk about it, Robin and I. And uh, if you come to New York, then you can be there. I would like that. That would give me a good great reason to go there and kind yeah. of be there. I always like to do a little bit more than visit a place and just be a tourist. It's always nice to have a connection and be able to do stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, in the art of conversation, you have recipes too. I do. And I really love the recipes. Um, I've been really getting into um, Polish cooking lately, and you have a lot of recipes in there. Can you want to talk about some of the recipes that you have in the book? I really think I would love to hear how people that listen to the show here, some of the recipes, because you're, you're talking to the right audience, you know, they're really in mm -hmm. tune with this. Yeah, so it is funny being an Italian American um, that I focused on Polish food, although there's other kinds of food in Yeah, because you have like, you have novel. Sunday gravy in there, right? Yeah, because that's my mother, yeah. Carmela, and my granddaughter's named after her. So, and I make it all the time. So I decided once I started there was always going to be food in the 
novel. But once I started doing recipes, well, even before that, I always wanted to have honor my mother and things that are related to my life, just like the characters have nuances like my family. Um, but the reason there's Polish food is I knew that Winston was going to have a problem with communication. And I extended that to the fact that people had trouble pronouncing his name. Right. And I, my son had a friend whose last name had a silent syllable in it. There was a CO in there that wasn't pr pronounced. And the name was kind of Polish sounding and ended in a CZ. So I made up a Polish name. I did ask a Polish person once if it sounded like a real name and they said no. So I asked another Polish person and they said it sounded like it was doable. So I, I left it the way it was. And I like that uh, it's Kajovic. You don't pronounce the C-O in the middle, not Kajakovic like everybody wants to say. And um, he, he uh, oh, you asked me why there's recipes. Right, so there's Polish recipes. There's I have him going to a Polish restaurant, which is loosely based on a restaurant on the Lower East Side. Um, I think it's called Little Polonia. But anyway, I've been there. I did a lot of research on Polish food. I looked online uh, for what kinds of foods were common. And I discovered first Zurek. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's a, it's a soup that has soured rye in it and uh, I just, but when I wrote about it, even though I researched it, I described it the way I envisioned it. Um, and then I used those descriptions to create the recipes or borrow. So that's how I found Zuza Zak, who you interviewed before. Yeah. Uh, my son gave me her cookbook, Polska, for Christmas because he knew I was writing a book about Polish that had Polish characters and Polish food in it. And I actually contacted her and asked her if it would be okay if I gave her credit, if I used her recipes in my book. And she said it was fine. So that was nice. She's so nice. Um, yeah, she's, and I follow her on Instagram. That's how I found yeah. you. Um, so, what other so I have that soup, but then oh, I'm looking for the recipes, I have them out. Um, so but then, of course, there's a scene in the book, and it's just something I think about all the time is that, um, every culture has its dumpling. I don't know if you remember that scene. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you know, there's ravioli, there's dim sum, there's pierogi. So I have the characters talking about it. And then that made me think of uh, mashups. So I decided that Winston's grandfather was going to make mashups of pierogi, but he was going to fill them with interesting things. And I just said, how about something Moroccan? And I looked up some recipes and then our chef, our past chef, Todd McGang, I went to his house. He told me, get all the ingredients you think you need. And I bought everything for what I thought should be in Moroccan stew, what I thought should be inside Reuben stuffed pierogi. Um, what I thought the it sounds delicious, by the way, I think that would be really nice. Well, I, I made them all. They're really good. They're oh, really wow. Good. That sounds good. And he, he was great. He didn't do it. He I said, so what should I do? He said, well, what do you think you should do? And I said, okay. And I started cooking and he just was there beside me and he'd give me some advice. Um, and then we had recipes. So it was fun. 
I really love the recipes you include, and it kind of uh, helps really kind of even give the book more kind of a realism to kind of make it seem more fleshed out so that you can kind of a more palpable sense of the whole thing. Thank you. I wish more books had recipes in it. I think it'd be kind of fun to see a few other authors do the same thing. And I like, I like that. It's kind of a little fun addition, you know, to something. I like that. There are books um, uh, like water for chocolate had recipes. Yeah. 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 And um, I think, I can't remember what it's called, but Nora Ephron had one that had a recipe, at, I think, at the end. Oh, Heartburn? Was it Heartburn? Yes, it was yeah, Heartburn. Yeah. Thank you. I love Nora I've Ephron. Been, I guess I could have Googled that, but I didn't in time. Um, yeah, I like, I love when there's food in books. I mean, food, I've been, everybody needs food, but I just have a love affair with food. But I, I'm no, I'm no chef. You did refer to me as a chef in one of your uh your previews but i'll call myself an ambitious home cook how about that well yeah because you know you you definitely have experience you know with a restaurant and everything and you 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 make it come so alive in your writing so thank you i think i got the the idea that you were a chef but i mean you've owned a restaurant you've worked you've been you've been back in the back area working there and everything so yeah and then my um at, at home i've always loved to cook but my daughter went to culinary school. She went to the French Culinary Institute. Now, that oh wow, yeah. So she went. She after college, she went there, and she really upped my game. And she came home and taught me things. And nice. then the chef also taught me things about cutting and blending, like just the technique things. But when so Liz uh, was one of the cooks, the line cooks at South Edison. Um, She's since gone to nursing school and now is becoming a nurse practitioner. Um, but she's very, very talented. And my son worked online too, and he's really good. He had a pop-up restaurant in Madrid when he lived there for oh a my year God. teaching English. Yeah. His roommate taught yoga and she said, and he loved to cook. So she said, how about we clear out the living room and we they charge people 10 euros to come and have a yoga class and Nate did yoga too. And then he cooked dinner and they had, after the first couple of weeks, they had to start another night and then they were doing it three times a week and they had a wait list. <laughs> that is incredible. That sounds yeah. like a lot of fun though, too. Yeah. That's a and great of course, idea. I, I can't miss my other daughter. She worked at the restaurant too, but um, she was a bartender and they all worked on the line sometimes, you know, a little bit to help. Liz was there all the time. And Nate was the expediter. Um, he man, he, then he was a manager later. We opened actually a fast food place for a little bit called Disco Fries. Nice. He, he went out to open that in Minneapolis and in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. That sounds familiar. I wonder if I've heard of that. Well, it's a thing. It's a dish that people eat in New Jersey. It's, it's like, it's kind of like poutine. It's right. French fries with gravy. And what it is, is like late night diner food in Jersey. This is what I've heard. I didn't grow up in Jersey. Um, and it's like whatever you can pick up off the disco floor after you come home. That's the phrase. But what we did was we had chef driven recipes. So there was an Asian one and there was a Sunday gravy one. And um, they were delicious but it was actually a tough sell that the kids in the college towns we opened in wanted to eat it late at night on the weekends, but it's kind of a tough sell in the week. So only lasted a couple of years. 
I remember back in the 80s, they had that Barry Levinson film diner where they would eat uh, fries with gravy yeah. on it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I started asking for that in places, I think, when I got to be like a young adult. Mm -hmm. And they would always be like, oh, you must see, have seen the movie diner. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Now, I want to ask you, who are some of your favorite food writers? Who are people that you really admire? Well, I love... Ruth Reichel, is it Reichel or Reichel? I think it's Reichel. That's what I always thought. Um, I, I read her book, Tender at the Bone, when it came out. And oh my goodness, I have images in my head of that book that I'll never forget. It was so good and so funny. Um, and I've read others, other writing of hers. And now I follow her newsletter that she sends out. Uh, and I follow her on Instagram. Um, and then as far as kind of like, following uh, Instagram accounts. And of course I follow Zuza Zach, but yeah. I love Deb Perelman from Smitten Kitchen. And I think yeah. the reason she's so good is because besides her talent with cooking, her writing is really good when she describes a recipe and it's, it's funny and enjoyable and you get to know who she is while she's writing. Um, I like Jake Cohen who, who did Jew-ish. Do you know that book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love him. And the Pasta Queen cracks me up. I just have to watch her all the time. Um, I think she may have a book now. But otherwise, uh, and now I'm talking cookbooks. I love Rose Levy Berenbaum's Cake Bible and her other Bible books. I just, that was like, it's, it's a broken binding book because I use it so often. Um, and Maida Heater's uh, Cookies, cookie cookbooks I have hers um and pretty much on the internet I love uh Sam Sifton uh, New York Times and I guess they're they're recipe writers and people who write about recipes not as we, much as Michael wrote about food I think we share a lot of the, the same love of the same authors I really love Ruth Reichel's work mm -hmm. she really makes places like she she's written some fiction and in addition to kind of her memoir work mm -hmm. and she's so good. I mean, she's really made New York come alive for me and her writing about it. And I really, I really love her work so much. I'd love to talk to her someday. Cause she's just seems like such an interesting person yeah. and her, her take on writing is really amazing. She makes everything really come alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's really good. I do like, uh, I just, the scenes, the scenes of her family in their kitchen just seem very real to me. I can still picture them from reading that book so long ago. Yeah. I mean, cause she's such a great personality and just, she puts everything into her work so that you just, it just, you can almost smell the smells and taste the taste. She's just that mm -hmm. visceral with everything. This episode is sponsored by Culinary Historians of Northern California, a Bay Area educational group dedicated to the study of food, drink, and culture in human history. To learn more about this organization and their work, please visit the website at www.chnorcal.org. We also have the link on the bio.
What are some of the uh, fiction authors that inspire you? I mean, I know we talked a little bit about, you know, sharing books with siblings and stuff like that. Who are some of the fiction authors that really kind of got you inspired towards writing? Well, I can't help but mention Taya Albrecht. Um, not that I could ever aspire to write like her, but I think her generosity of time and uh, supportiveness uh, with my writing is inspiring. And there's another author, Jacob Appel. He just sort of yeah, so he's written, he writes and publishes one book after another. And he also has nine postgraduate degrees and Whoa. none too shabby, like, you know, a JD from Harvard and a doctor. He's a doc medical doctor. He went to Columbia. He practices as an ER doctor. Um, and then he, he, they both read at my author reading and Jacob, I just randomly said, you know, Jacob, I feel like my books are, my book is a lot like some of his books are just about regular people. They're not miserable. There's a hap maybe a happy ending, maybe not, but I just, I said, I just don't know what to do. I'm, I'm really looking for an agent. And what do you think? And he said, well, let me see if I have time to read it. He called me the next day. He, it was quiet in the ER that night. He was on the overnight ship. He read the whole thing. So he and Taya for their generosity. But as far as like inspiration, um, I love Stephen King and oh, Stephen yeah. Graham Jones uh, for the horror. Um, I like to write horror in addition to this book that only has a ghost who's only scary for a few moments. Um, and then Karen Russell, who wrote Swamplandia, and she has a short story collection, Orange World, and there's another one, Vampires in the Lemon Grove. I like it for her strangeness. Oh, that is a fucking good book. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Excuse my language. That book. <laughs> That's okay. It's your the, podcast. The, the, the very last story in that one. What? Oh, Vampires in the Lemon Grove? Yeah, yeah. The very last one. That collection seriously should have won, won like awards. She's so good. I really love that collection so much. I wish so I much. remembered which the last story was. It's the story about the kids. And there's this one kid that's like a misfit. And the other kids are like a gang and they kind of make fun of them. And then there's like at the end, I don't want to spoil it. There's yeah, like, that's there's okay. Like don't a, spoil it. It gets into magic realism at the end. But like, <laughs> yeah, because Oliver says kind of magic realism, but like, it's incredible. Like, she's so good, though. She's so good. I had the opportunity to meet her because Taya was um, interviewing her at the New York Public Library after Orange World came out. She was having a reading and then Taya interviewed her. So I went to the reading and I got swept up with Taya and her class of grad students from Hunter to go out for drinks with Karen Russell and her family. So I was honored, that was really cool. Oh, that'd be amazing. That, it was great doing the author reading, I mean, it was so exciting. We had, we randomly, I just said, I'm going to email Michael Cunningham, you know, Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, uh, amazing author and see if he'd like to come. And he writes back, I like what you're doing. When, when can I come in between teaching at Yale? I'll, I'll find time. And he came a few months later and he was so charming and wonderful. Anyway. Wow. Um, yeah. That's pretty great. impressive. Very I like good. horror too. Like I read a lot of different, do you read any other horror? authors there's so many really i feel like there's so many really good young horror authors now they're oh, really yeah. kind of turning everything on its ear it's amazing there's this uh he's from somewhere in scandinavia old who 
what's his name? He has a new book called Echo, but the first one, what's it called? Witch? He's so young. He's oh, yeah, in his yeah. early twenties. Um, I have his name somewhere. Anyway, he, uh, I like his work. And now I've been writing a lot, reading a lot of short horror stories because I'm trying to write them. So hopefully I'll learn something. Yeah. It's weird because like I do the podcast and I talk a lot about food writing and food books, but like mm -hmm. I have a study that's full of literally just overstuffed bookcases full of horror and horror oh, yeah. genre. Yeah. It's just, what are some of your favorite? Well, there's this, see the stuff I like is pretty disturbing. So it's like, and I don't mean that in like, like a gross out way. I mean, like in more of like an existential way, like Kafka-esque. Yeah. So there's uh -huh. one that I like, uh, Thomas Ligotti. Um, oh yeah, he, I know who he is. His stuff is pretty messed up. It'll like leave you with like imprints on your brain after you read it. And John Darnell, he wrote Wolf in a White Van. It's not the stuff that would normally be called horror in the sense of Stephen King. Right. But it is horror and it just, it messes you up. Like if you read Wolf in a White Van or... Uh, Universal Harvester. He's got oh, a new I one that. coming out. I read that. What yeah. did you think of Universal Harvester? That book is so like, after I read it, I just kind of sat still for a while. And I'm yeah. like, what the fuck did I yeah, just, these, just read? Yeah, uh, these thought processes. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, that's what my husband says. He looks at me when I read him a story. He just kind of cringes and makes a funny face and then says, that's really good. <laughs> he just, he doesn't get it that I could do this, but Yeah. And, but who, what did uh, Lugati write? Because I just was reading about him. He wrote a lot of short stories, but he has like these, like he has novellas and like my work, my work, my work here is, is just yet done, not yet done. And then he has uh, mm -hmm. a lot of story collections like uh, Noctuary and mm -hmm. Scribe and his collected works. Uh, he has like a lot of short stories and he has one that's my favorite. It's a, it's a Lovecraft homage called The Last Feast of Harlequin. I'm also a big Lovecraft collector. I collect in uh -huh. Bradbury. I have a ton of Bradbury, although he's not necessarily a horror writer, but he writes horror and stuff like that. Right, right. Yeah. So I, I read a lot of Lovecraft because I was like, what's everybody talking about this guy for? <laughs> so, yeah, I get it. I get it. He was great. Um, I mean, not a great person, probably. He was a little bit messed up personally, oh. but great writer though. Yeah. I didn't, I did not know that he was messed up. Yeah. Kind of odd guy. Um, so if you could cook dinner for 10 people living or dead, who would you invite? And this could be anybody, mm -hmm. somebody, you know, or don't know somebody from history. And then who would you invite? And what would you serve to them? Well, it's funny that you should ask this question because the last question I asked when I had the authors at Bose was, if you could invite any person in the writing world, living or dead, to have a drink with you at Bose, who would it be? I didn't give them a chance to pick 10, though. Um, I would definitely cook my mother's my version of my mother's Sunday gravy, which is the Long Island Italian, or maybe it's just the Italian American way of saying Sunday tomato sauce with meatballs, sausages and ribs and whatever else you put in it, because it's, it's so good. And it's a crowd pleaser. Um, I would definitely make that. I mean, unless they're vegetarians, then it would be a problem. Um, and yeah. I would invite 
first, well, the first person I would invite besides all my friends are the first ones I thought of, but that's because of quarantine because I don't get to see them so much, but now we can do that. So I don't have to do that. I'm going to invite Julia Child mm. and maybe even Graham Kerr, the galloping wow. when I was a little girl. I, anytime there was no school or if I was home from school because I was sick, my mother would put me in her bed and put the little portable TV on her dresser. And I watched Julia Child and Graham Kerr and I would write the recipes down as I was, I think I wrote the Julia's recipe for brains and brown butter sauce when I was nine in my social studies notebook. Oh, I love her. Anyway, so Julia, Graham Kerr, I guess I'd really like Stephen King to come and then maybe ah, bring his band. Nice, nice. And and how about Guillermo del Toro? He'd be that fun would be to great. talk to. Yeah. I like that. Horror. And then music people, I think I want Elvis Costello because he's brilliant and I yeah. love his music. Um, David Bowie. Nice. Yeah, I love him too. Um, and then I thought Josephine Baker, um, always liked her, but then I heard... I was listening to your interview of Nick Malgieri and he yeah. mentioned that he worked in Monte Carlo and that Josephine Baker would come in and say, bonsoir, cuisinier, or whatever you say, people in the kitchen in French. And I love that little anecdote. So it reminded me of her. And then I think I would invite George Saunders because not only is he an incredible author, I think he's really funny. I don't know if that's 10 people. But that's a great group though. Wow. I, just to be there with all those people would be pretty awesome. Yeah, wouldn't it? I would like that. Now, I don't know if I have, I wouldn't be able to eat. I'd be so excited. Picking up on what you said, just last question, what kind of music do you play when you're cooking? Do you have like a playlist? I do. So my husband puts on, I'm not really good at the system, but he does something with his phone and the music comes out. And I always ask him, my first choice is usually Tito Puente. Nice. I love Tito Puente's music. Oh, yeah. Anything, I love dance music and dancing around. Yeah. Um, or Motown. Nice. Um, and then classic rock and roll. Got to have yeah. the Stones or the Beatles. But then sometimes I want um, classical music. So I love, well, I like Mozart, but I love Rachmaninoff because of the way he pounds the keys. And I just recently started wanting to hear the Bach um, cello concertos because I started, I took up the viola. And my instructor has a station on YouTube and he, a channel on YouTube, and he's been playing the Bach cello concertos on his viola. Nice. Awesome. So yeah, I'm kind of eclectic with music. I like a lot of different music. What a great, I like that. I could just see you cooking in the kitchen, listening to all this. It sounds great. It's fun. I do enjoy it. So what is next for you? Well, I'm going to keep searching for an agent to help me sell my novel, which I haven't sent out any queries lately, but uh, I do have, there is an agent who has asked for the full manuscript. So we'll see if she writes back. Um, and then uh, I'm going to keep on writing short and strange fiction. Nice. Um, trying to find homes for those. And you know, I'm not sure why I'm kind of blogging about food because after I, I listened to your, um, the chubby, chubby chef or kitchen, chubby, yeah, kitchen? The chubby kitchen. Yeah. Oh my goodness. She was amazing. She was. And yeah. 
and and how you said her photography is beautiful. I mean, I take with my iPhone and every picture invariably has a shadow of the phone on it. Me too. But, me too. And I love, but I love cooking and I love eating. Um, I'm an all-star eater. I eat all the foods. Me too. Um, but I guess it's just, you know, we're in the age of the internet and I guess it's just fun sharing it. So I, I think I'm going to keep, I do have a website, but I won't tell anyone what it is yet because it's messy and I need to figure out how to, how to fix it. But I'd like to have, you know, more of a presence about food. And since my novel is about food, I think it all ties together. So I'm going to keep on working on that. Well, Lisa, it's been a pleasure talking to you and the art of conversation is too good to not get snatched up soon. So I am here to say it now. And people who are listening know this, this book will be out. I predict it'll be out very soon and look for it. And if there's any agents out there, I'll be glad to put you in contact with Lisa. Oh, well, thanks, Dean. And it was so nice talking to you too. It was my conversation with Lisa Amico Crystal, author of the forthcoming The Art of Conversation. Had a really great time talking with Elisa, with Lisa, and I hope she comes back again soon. Really loved ha having a chance to talk to her. I could talk to her all day. Now, also coming up this next week is going to be Constance L. Kirker and Mary Newman, author of many numerous um, books on food and food writing. Their book, Coconut, will be out soon, and I'll be talking with them about that book and their book, Edible Flowers, and a few others. They'll be here on Monday. And then Christopher Schaefer is going to be on on Wednesday. He has a wonderful book called Moon Over Sosoba, What America's Experience Teaching in Post-Cold War Slovakia. It's a departure from our usual talk on uh, cooking and food writing, but I really love this book and had a chance to talk to Christopher, so I wanted to have him on the podcast. So we also have John Birdsall, who um, I'm sure you all know, who's a famous food writer. He'll be here on Friday in his book, The Man Who Ate Too Much, which is a biography about James Beard. He'll be here on Friday. I'm looking very much forward to having you all hear my conversation with him. Such a wonderful uh, man to talk to and so gracious to be on the podcast. Until then, I hope all of you have a wonderful weekend and get a chance to do some really great cooking. Contact me um, through email if you ever want to um, talk about the program and food. I'm always happy to talk to people about food and food writing. Any recommendations you want to send my way, I'm very accessible. So that being said, again, have a great weekend. Hope you get to do some great cooking and also keep cooking. <laughs>